I'm so glad to see everybody that's gathered with us physically at any of our physical locations or also those of you who are online, Facebook, YouTube, or Rockbridge Online. We are delighted that you're here. And hey, we're in uh, part number six of, of a summer series that we've been navigating through the two chapters in the book of Revelation, very last book of the Bible, and it's called Dear Church. Seven letters were written to seven historical churches, and God's preserved that for us here in his word. And so we've been uh, jumping in and, uh, and getting as much as we can out of that. And again, thank you for being here. You're not listening. You're not watching by accident. God's got something for you. I, I believe it for you. I'm praying for you, praying for me, and excited that you're here. And we're going to need God's help on this one. So uh, we're going to need to love God with our minds. We're going to be stretched. So I want to just invite you, wherever you are, join with me as we pray together. God, for everybody listening, everybody watching, we just need your help as we engage you through uh, this letter to this church at Philadelphia. God, I, I firmly believe nobody's listening by accident. So God, give us all the ears to hear, and God, give us the humility to receive what you have for us, especially this day in our history with you. In the name, above all names we pray, amen and amen. So I, I've read this quote before, and it, it just sort of struck me uh, as, as one we needed to wrestle with to get in as we get into this uh, letter to the church at Philadelphia. And this is from a theologian named Karl Barth. He says this, if our God, everybody uh, listening has a God. Now you may know, well, it's not the Christian God or I'm an atheist. Everybody's got a God that, that sort of moves you, affects you, and, and we'll unpack that more. But if our God, our view of God, never contradicts us, never makes us mad, never confuses us, then we are not likely worshiping him, the true God, but rather a reflection of ourselves. And, and as I thought about that, and I thought about my tendencies, that I, I really don't want correction, I want affirmation. And I don't really want uh, people to, someone to disagree, or I don't push back, or oh, I want to feel good about me, and, and I, I want more, more attaboys than, hey, watch out, son. You know, I want more of that. So there's this inherent tendency, at least in, in, in me, to sort of not want a God that would challenge me. To sort of not want a God that would, you know, chat, push back and say, Matt, not that way, this way. I mean, I, I, I want that, and that's what I want. And, and there's a danger in that because the God we're going to talk about today wants a relationship with you. And, and I've never been in a relationship with someone who didn't contradict me, make me mad, confuse me, right? So there's a notion where we have to wrestle with that. Now, you, you put this statement on top of our current cultural dynamics, and it's even more challenging because increasingly in our culture, we are losing the ability to disagree, and we're losing the ability to talk to one another. We talk about, we talk around, but we don't talk to. And so if you take that statement by Karl Barth, and you think about the cancel culture we're in, I don't know if you've heard the, con the phrase cancel culture, but cancel culture is generally when like a politician, a celebrity, uh, an actor, something like that, an athlete says something controversial, whether it was 10 years ago or, or 10 minutes ago, then everyone that, that sort of disagrees with what they said just sort of cancels them. Now, here's how it shows up maybe in your world. You just quit following them on social media. You unfriend. I don't like what you said, unfriend. And, and so we just sort of cancel people out. So here's the challenge. If God challenges you, says something that offends you, 
says something that bothers you, there's a temptation to do, to do something with God other than receive what he says. And, and the, the temptation would be to reimagine God. The temptation might be to move away from that God. The temptation may be to say, well, that preacher just stepped on my toes, even if it was the truth from God's word, and you sort of move away from God. And, and then also, every person listening, including me, has confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is this thing where I tend to, and you tend to search for, look for information that supports what I already believe. Information that supports what I already believe. And so my confirmation bias is when I read the Bible, I read it that in a way that might just confirm what I already do. When, when I think about people, I, I want to listen to people who just confirm what I already think, what I already know. And so that begins to cut off God's ability, God's ability to challenge us in order to transform us. And then we all have this tendency to reimagine God or reduce God to, to a God that we've got figured out, a God we can control, a God that might be just a little bit bigger than us, uh, <clears throat> but, but, he's, but you know, he, we do these three things and he's on our side. And, and so we all have those tendencies. And as we've been saying in this book, in this walk through these seven letters in Revelation, your view of God is vastly important to who you are, how you live life. And we got to get the view of God correct. And one of the goals of the whole book of Revelation is that, as I've said to you, it's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the mark of the beast. It's the revelation of the Christ, the true God, Jesus Christ. So we've got all these view of God challenges going on. And there's this temptation to say, and I had a conversation with someone just the other day, and they said, well, I don't believe God would ever do that. Even though I had just showed them in the word of God where God, in fact, would have done that. But notice the key phrase, I don't believe God would. I don't. Well, you've just made yourself God. But we all do that. Adam and Eve did that. And so here's the challenge. Everybody listening to me has a functional God. Now, it may be a little G God like your kids or your job, or your fears, or your money, or, or it could be a big G God. But everybody has a God that helps you function. Some of you, you, you may be your God, but you have a God that helps you make decisions, helps you turn left or right. It may be, hey, I just go with my gut. I go with my intuition. I, some of you, hey, I, I just kind of do what everybody else is doing or do what I think won't make people mad. But everybody's got a functional God. And the challenge that we're in right now is that in times of crisis, functional little g-gods tend to die, and then we're lost. And we're lost. And we're confused. And, and we're in doubt. And so what we need more than anything I firmly believe in our souls, in our nation, and in our communities is to recapture a view of God that is accurate and true and big enough to ignite our passions, strong enough to overcome our fears, and powerful enough to put us on the path of life forever and ever. Amen. So the question that we're going to try to wrestle with today is how do we make the true God our functional God? 
Everybody's got a functional God, and we tend to make a functional God one that confirms our biases, one that sort of makes the most sense to us and makes us the least uncomfortable. And so, but we need to say, hey, I need a right view of God. So how do I make the true God our functional God? And there's this little church that existed in history in the little town of Philadelphia. And this little church, let me just tell you about it. Jesus, when he speaks to it, finds nothing wrong with it. It's one of the few in the seven where Jesus says, I only got good things to say. And what this little church got right is they worshiped the true God. And and the true God was their functional God. And and so we're going to see how they did that and see what we get out of that. So that's our journey. That's the path that we're going for. Here we go. Revelation 3, the word of God in verse 7. It says, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Remember, the vision of Jesus, the view of Jesus corresponds to what's going on in the church. So here it goes. Thus says the Holy One, the True One. So those are descriptions of Jesus. The Holy One means that God or Jesus is completely other, completely distinct. In fact, the word holy just means other, beyond. It does not, there's no category that can actually absolutely capture or categorize or classify God. So that begins to rule me and you out, right? That begins to eliminate you and me as good as the true God, right? Now, we would like to, you know, if I were God, I would. And, uh, well, I think God would never. Or I think God should. I mean, we've all said it. We've all done it, right? But the, when we talk about the holy God, that means God is in a class by himself. I can't match him. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Therefore, he will contradict me. He will confuse me. He will challenge me and so on and so forth. And in in the next description, it says he's the true one, that Jesus is always true to himself. He never lacks integrity. I I tell you what, though, this this also eliminates me as a good candidate to being God, being a functional God. It eliminates me because I'm not the true one. I fall susceptible to the halt principle. You ever heard the halt principle? Never do anything when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, I look more like Satan than Jesus. Just ask my wife. I mean, she should call me on the way home uh, today and say, hey, Matt, are you hungry and tired? Because if you are, I'm going to put you to bed, right? I mean, that's just the way we roll. Jesus is never susceptible to that. He's never moody. He's the true one. So, So again, I'm sort of eliminating myself and maybe you from being my functional God. And and then he says, the one who has the key of David, that's a reference to Isaiah 22, and this key of David, what it opens, no one will close, what it closes, no one opens. So the key of David is the access into heaven, it's it's salvation, it's how we get right with God, that Jesus opens that door or Jesus shuts that door, and then this God says, I know your works. I know your works, Philadelphia, and he's not going to say anything negative. He's going to commend them. He's going to encourage them. So we're on this path to having a, the, to letting the true God be our functional God, the letting the true God be our functional God. And so the first part of that, the first step in that is we have to have a highly exalted and yet highly personal view of Jesus. Highly exalted is he's the holy one. He's the true one. He has the keys of David. Personal says, I, I walk amongst you and I know, you're, I know what's going on in your life. That's the view of God that begins to bring correction and hope and challenge and transformation into our lives and into our soul. Our tendency... Our tendency is to emphasize one of these at the expense of the other. 
So for some of you, you're like, yeah, man, he's the man upstairs. He's large and he's in charge. He's so big, I can't relate to him. He's so, I, I don't think God is interested in my meeting at four o'clock on Friday afternoon. So I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm not even going to pray to him about it. Uh, God, God's so big. He's so out there. He doesn't really care about what I care about or he's not really there with what I'm worried about. And so you just kind of, he's big, he's out there and you just sort of push him away. Now, others of you, you emphasize the person view of Jesus, and he's so personal, he's just more like your co-pilot. He's more like your friend and your buddy, but he doesn't really have the right to take the steering wheel of your life and direct your life down a path that doesn't confirm to your, conform to your confirmation bias. The church of Philadelphia got this view of God. The church of Philadelphia understood that, hey, Jesus is highly exalted and yet also he's highly, highly personal. And you see, the problem that we are facing right now as a society, as a culture, as the church, Big C Church in America, is a crisis of confidence. A crisis of confidence. Because how the church has operated historically, or at least in, in most of the 20th and 21st century, has been diminished, has been impacted, has been challenged. How you and I, what's normal for you and I has been challenged. And, and so we're looking at God and we're looking at society and we're like, where is our confidence going to come from? And, and so a, a lot of us, this is where honestly, if we're honest, our confidence comes from either better circumstances or more self-esteem. Better circumstances or more self-esteem. And, and, and covid and, and what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our world, uh, the circumstances are still challenging, and we, we can't seem to get our act together to figure, figure anything out. And so here's the position of this church in Philadelphia. Is our confidence going to come from better circumstances when they were being persecuted in the Roman Empire in the first century for being Christians? Is our confidence going to come from greater self-esteem? We'll see why it's not in just a second. Or maybe my confidence comes from the right view of God that I understand how big and powerful and yet gracious and loving God is. And this big and powerful and gracious and loving God is for me. I believe every person listening today, including me, you need a view of God that is way bigger than you way more powerful than you imagine, way more holy than you dare to admit. But you also need a view of God where he is more and more loving than you can actually imagine. And, and so as I look at this crisis of confidence, I want to encourage you, don't look at yourself. You'll let you down because you're not the holy one, the true one, and you don't have the keys of the kingdom. Don't look at your circumstances because I don't know when it's going to get back to normal, whatever that might even look like. I don't know when it's going to get better. I think all of us around here thought, hey, by mid-July, this thing would be out of here, and we'd just be heading back to school, and everything would be hunky-dory, and that's not happening. Our confidence comes from a right view of God and a right relationship with the right God. Verse 8, so he comes back, he says, okay, I know your works. And he says, look, I want you to see something. Philadelphia, I have placed before you an open door, because he has the authority to open, 
that no one can close because he has that power. And open doors in Scripture were always opportunities to go forward and speak and represent and bear witness to Christ. Because you have little power. God's not interested in that the church's self-esteem. In fact, the higher your self-esteem, the lower your dependence upon God. Unless your self-esteem comes from the fact that God loves you, God's for you, God's with you, God's bigger than you. So he says, hey, you got little power, yet you have kept my word. You have obeyed, you have followed, and have not denied my name. So they have a right view of God, but the second thing they have is they consistently align themselves to Jesus and to his word or and to his revelation. Now, let me explain what I mean by alignment, and then we're going to break this down, all right? Every single one of us, practically, and let me read it how I wrote it, practically, all of us look somewhere or check something before we act, speak, respond, react, or decide. All of us look somewhere. We align ourselves to, and we look to past examples, our flesh, our ego, our insecurities, our fear, our pride, other people, or to a cultural expectation. And this looking or checking or aligning happens subconsciously or in a nanosecond, so much so that we would just say it's second nature, it's who we are, it's how we do things, it's how we function. So my functional God in this moment is my fear. My functional God in this moment is what these three people over here are going to think about me if I go left or if I go right. My functional God in this moment is the fear I have of X or Y or Z. The functional God I have is my desire to feel good about myself, and she or he makes me feel good about myself. For the church in Philadelphia, they constantly align to the true one, the holy one, and his revelation or his word, the sum total of the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus Christ. Now, alignment to Christ and to his word or alignment to Christ and his revelation happens in three steps that we just heard in, in God's word. Here they are. The first one is we embrace our inadequacy. You have little power, he tells them. And in the Christian faith, having little power or inadequacy is actually a prerequisite, is a prerequisite. So, so some of us, we walked in here and we're like, I don't know, I'm not in control anymore. I feel powerless. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. Some of us walked in here and we're like, man, I, man I, I'm almost depressed. Let me just tell you something. You are closer to discovering the true God than the person who walked in here saying, I'm good, life's good, all is good. The person who's like, I've got it figured out. I'm good. I can handle it. Now, you're not indoctrinated into life that way, nor am I. That's why before God can become real to us, sometimes, oftentimes, he has to humble us. In fact, no one here who is a true follower of Jesus, the way you become a true follower of Jesus is you get humbled, first step, at the cross, because you look at Jesus on the cross and you see my sin, my abandonment of God, me doing it my way, put him there. But then your heart is not devastated because you're like, his love for you kept him there. That's the gospel. 
So we embrace our inadequacy as a prerequisite. So our goal when we open the Word of God, our goal when we come and listen to a church service is not the same goal that you have when you listen to Dr. Phil, who wants to make you feel better, right? Second thing is, there's a resolve to take the name of Christ and to keep His Word. He says, you haven't denied my name. In fact, you've kept my word. So when, when Philadelphia, when the Philadelphians became Christians, here's what they knew happened. And this is, a tr- this is true. When you become a Christ follower, you take the name of Jesus, and Jesus wants you to represent him, bear witness to him, and fulfill his purpose. You don't, t- he, you don't just add Jesus to your life and, this, you know, and Jesus becomes this like little icing on the cake. It makes your life better. Your life becomes his life. And, and, and Jesus wants to live his life through you. It's like, you know, when you join uh, the police force or you join a military branch, you suddenly represent the Navy or, or, the, or the armed forces or your branch. You, 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 you take that and you, you get wrapped up into that and, and you align to that. And so the church at Philadelphia got it that, hey, we're not tr- out here trying to represent me, myself, and I. We're trying to represent the Holy One, the true one who has the keys to the kingdom. And then the third thing is you see and seize opportunities to represent him. That is the open door. And that is how we begin to align ourselves to Christ. Now, that contradicts how most of us approach things because most of us, we would rather be, instead of insufficient and inadequate, we want to be self-sufficient, independent, and in control. Most of us, we want, it's all about my thoughts, my preferences, my wants, and my feelings. It's not about God's agenda or God's will. It's what I want, what I think, what I believe, what I feel. And I I, I promise you, we are living in an age where everybody has an opinion, everybody has an idea, everybody has a thought. And as Christ followers, that's not our right. Our right is, what does God think about this? How does God want this to handle? What has God said about this? And that's what that was going on at the Church of Philadelphia. And then finally, in our natural self that's been unaffected by the true God, what we're looking for really every day is an opportunity to get what I want or give somebody a piece of my mind, baby. That's how we're sort of wired until God gets a hold of us or we get this view of God where he's true and we commit ourselves to letting him be the true God and the functional God in all of our lives. Now, I want to be incredibly practical and incredibly helpful with us because I think this is an amazing, amazing opportunity that that we live in right now. I I think it's incredible. So we need to understand what was going on at Philadelphia and try to learn and apply that into our lives here in Northwest Georgia, the Tennessee Valley, and whoever and however you're watching from wherever, digitally or online. So so let's follow this, see this in the Word of God, then I'm going to break it down with some practical examples. So becoming a Christian looks like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. So I die so Christ can live in me through me. The life I now live in the body, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I see what God did on the cross. I surrender to him. I surrender to my rights. I'm satisfied by his love. I believe him. I follow him. So now he has access to me. My opinions don't matter. My preferences die. My wants die. And I want what he wants. And may his will be done. So I'm dead. Now, how does that work out? How does that work out? Uh, at at 5.30 at the dinner table? How does that work out when you see a provocative social media post? How does that work out? So let's let's press forward. John 6.33 says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives life. So this life that I get in Christ comes by the Spirit. The flesh doesn't help help at all. That's the me, 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 myself, and I part of me, right? What I want, what I think, what I want to do, my will, my way. It's all Burger King, you know, have it your way, right? The words, Jesus says, that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the spirit gives life, but it's the words of Jesus that the church at Philadelphia were keeping and aligning to that bring life. So something about life and the words of God are how I begin to live for God. So we press forward. We go to John 15. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. So let's have a relationship. Let's have a functional relationship. You with the true God. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, represents me, bears the fruit of the kingdom. Because you can do nothing without me. You have little power without me. Embrace your inadequacy. It's a prerequisite. But he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and those are synonymous. So the way to remain, to stay connected to Christ is to have his words flowing and a part of you and your thinking. Then you can pray or ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus lives his life through you as you learn to represent him in your job, on your social media, everywhere. And then we go one more, 1 Corinthians 2.16, Romans 12.2. We have the mind of Christ. So every Christian here has the ability to think like Jesus and thus live like Jesus or allow Jesus to live through you. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or have a renewed mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, which is pleasing, and which is perfect. So here's what it looks like. We align with the mind of Christ through God's word in order to express the life of Christ. And that comes out of us, and that's our purpose. Now, here's what's so beautiful, okay? Rockbridge started in 2002, and this was one of our founding statements. Our only tradition was the Bible. We didn't get it right all the time, but we were committed not to build a church around what I want, what I think, my favorite tradition, but to build a church based on Scripture. We are living in a culture. We are living in a society where everyone is disjointed, where everyone is rowing in a different direction, whether it's your COVID response, our politics, our churches, our families. 
And the only thing that can actually begin to unite us is the people of God who will take themselves off the throne and commit to fulfilling the promises that we have the mind of Christ, we are to represent the name of Christ, and we are to express the life of Christ in our everyday life. The church at Philadelphia was doing that. So let's look at how that might work. Let's take something that's not mentioned in the Bible, social media. How should we use social media? And people, but Matt, there's no chapter, there's no verse. No, no, no. You have been promised the mind of Christ, and you have the name of Christ and the responsibility to represent Christ. So let's, how do we get to, how do we, as a Christian, how does a church use social media? Well, so I've got to get into the Word, right? Because Word and life, all of that co coincide, right? The Word of God, the mind of Christ, the life of Christ, they're all related. I align to the Word of God. I align my think, my mind to the Word of God so I can express the life of Christ in social media. So I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, this is going to take some time. But I think, well, there's a lot of things in the Bible about communication. So the first one is everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I probably should not post something impulsively because I got mad at somebody. I probably should not get done watching cable news and then go post something, right? I got to slow down, listen before I speak, and be slow to anger. So that, that's the first thing. And then I go to Ephesians 4.29. This is the mind of God. It's the Word of God, right? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So is what I'm about to post, is it wholesome? Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to meet someone's need? Is it going to bring a blessing? And suddenly I'm thinking the thoughts of God so that before I hit post, before I like something, I am filtering it through this. I am not filtering it through my anger. I'm not filtering it to what they said about me. I'm not filtering it through anything, but the mind of Christ is revealed in the word of God. Now, and then there's another one. In Galatians 2.11, Peter was doing something wrong. And so when uh, Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Peter was displaying some racist tendencies toward the Jewish Christians. So, so Paul said, I got to oppose favoritism, racism in the church. But there's some conversations that need to happen face to face. So there's some things and some topics that I don't need to discuss with you via your Facebook account. I need to discuss them with you personally, over the phone or face-to-face. -face. And suddenly, I am operating now in social media more like Jesus. Let's take current events. A lot going on, right? It can be overwhelming, it can be scary, it can be frightening, it can shake us, it can make us challenged, it can get us upset, it can get us fearful. So I want the mind of Christ. So I go to 1 Peter 1.13, he says, with your minds ready for action, ding, 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 right? Be sober-minded, be level-headed, be calm and composed, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is it possible that current events, as challenging as they are, cause me to take my hope and think, what's coming of the world? And God would say, I never asked you to put your hope in the world. So now I have to 
begin to unthink, unlearn, renew my, my, renew my mind, obtain a level head, and make sure my hope is more on what Jesus is going to finalize and consummate when he comes back. And so now I can just settle down a, lot, a level or two. I can calm down and I can think. Just keep going. What about a difficult person or a difficult issue? Now, I know what I want to do. With a difficult person, you know what you want to do. This is, right? But then I go, and I'm like, no, no, no. I need to align with the Word of God. Not my emotions. I align with the Word of God. As God's chosen one, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. So I'm a, if I'm going to deal with a difficult person, compassion, am I trying to understand? Kindness, humility, do I realize I'm a sinner too? Gentleness versus harshness, am I being patient? Am I bearing fruit? Uh, am I bearing with one another? Here's another, Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now here it is, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. We have to think to please God. Most of us are assuming, better at assuming than discerning. And so if we are to display this alignment, this commitment to the name of Christ, we have to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, here's my, here's my conviction. There is not a single subject you can take today that you can't use this filter and come out with something. And, and I, I'll tell you, I, it's unprecedented. The feedback I get with, with, like on the issue of race and, and Black Lives Matter, I mean, I, I have some of you who wrote out me emails and say, you need to say more. You didn't say anything. Why not? And some of you are like, hey, please don't use that and say less. Well, here's what I want you to know. Both of you can't be right. But thankfully, our, none of our goals is to be right. Our goals are to be Christ-like and have the mind of Christ. Correct? So that's so why I take something like Black Lives Matter and I have to discern not assume. I have to slow down and be slow to, you know, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. And, and you make distinctions, discernment. Black Lives Matter is a statement. Black Lives Matter could also be an ideology and an organization. There are problems with the ideology and the organization of Black Lives Matter. Clear. Go, go, go look at their website. Lay it over the Word of God. Problematic. But just a statement that black lives matter, that's a biblical statement. The same as me saying the unborn matter. Poor people matter. Sinners matter. People matter. Correct? But, but so, so, let's, so let's say you have a person of color who walks up to you and, as, a, as a white person and says this. Hey, black lives matter, but I just don't feel it. Is that the time? For me to just sort of dissect the organization or for me to uh, you know, attack the ideology or, or is it a time for me to say, would you tell me how you feel? Uh, tell me how you've been made to feel that your life as a person of color doesn't matter. Because I've told people this, I, I'm a white male in America. I'm the least discriminated dude here. Far be it for me to assume to know what it's like as a person of color to walk through a grocery store and be followed when your white friend was not. 
I heard that story and it happened just last month in this area. So I've got to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and bear with one another, right? In order to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Not assuming, not reacting, but taking time to get the mind of Christ. And now when that happens, I want you to look at the promises God makes to this beautiful church at Philadelphia. Okay? Now, this, now I didn't say it's going to be easy. Because a lot of us, it's easier for us to react based on our preference, our pride, our fear, or our insecurity than for it is to discern to have the mind of Christ, to express the life of Christ. So look at the promises, and may these promises fuel us as a church. He says, note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan, so they're being opposed by the Jews who, were not, who had not become Christians, who, are, who claim to be Jews and are not true, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. So, so the third thing that we're told coming out of this is, hey, the opposition is not going to set the direction or the tone of my life. He says, look, you're being opposed in, in the first century in Philadelphia. There's people who don't like you. There's people who are speaking against you. They're kicking you out. They're persecuting you. But he says, let me handle your vindication. Let me be responsible for taking care of that. You do not be deterred about your opposition. Now, listen. The church in America, the church today, we're being opposed. We've got enemies, right? I mean, we could even say COVID-19 is somewhat of an enemy to the church congregating like we know we need to and like many of us want to. And so, but listen, the opposition can't set the direction or tone. Yes, it can change our practices, but it will never change our purposes. And so we start taking stock of our lives. And how many times are we letting the opposition, the enemy, dictate our attitude, our tone, and our direction? May it never be so with the people of God because we have a God who's always bigger than the opposition. And so we're going to let the true God be our functional God. You know what functions as many of your gods? The opposition. Does COVID have more power in your mind than the God who sits on the throne? Does, does, does politics, do the five people that criticized you the other day? That's not the true God. The opposition is underneath to the true God. And so as this begins to shape us and form us, we get a promise from God. Here's what he says to the church. Because you've kept my command to endure, you've hung in there, Every issue, every moment, every decision, every choice, you've aligned back to the Word of God. You've, you've known I've highly exalted, but I'm highly personal. I'm highly involved. You haven't been deterred by the opposition. You've endured. You've endured. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon, and your hope is here. So you hold on to what you have so that no one takes your reward or your crown and he says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He'll never go out again. Steadfast, sturdy, strong, intimacy with God. And he says, I will write on him the name of my God because you have represented me in difficulty, in thick and thin. You have discerned, not assumed, and you have taken the mind of Christ. I will put my name on you. I will put the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. I am going to bless you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to reward you with the fullness of Jesus Christ. 
And then he says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the, the fourth thing of making the true God your functional God is to have consistency with the Word to endure. That we can't be one moment this way, the next moment that way. We are consistently coming back and we are being fueled by the promises of God. And the promise is this, that consistency in the temporary here and now will bring eternal rewards later. And that the rewards later will be much greater than the pain and frustrations of now. Why? Because our God is greater. Our God is with us. And our God is for us. So here's my challenge. Here's my challenge. I, I, I want you to imagine if every person listening made a commitment walking out of here today or turning your computer off online, if you made a commitment that you said, hey, Jesus, I want you to be my true God, not just at my funeral. I want you to be my true God in my marriage, in my politics, in my speaking and posting in my relationships, in my job, in my everything. And Jesus, I'm going to make a commitment to align with your word, to gain your mind so I can represent and reflect your life through my body. Uh, Imagine if we, this church, if we just made that commitment, in three months from now, would our families have not gotten a glimpse of God a better glimpse, a correct, through how we're living. Our coworkers, our followers on our social media account, our cities that we're located in, our cities would look at us and say, they live differently, they think differently, they love differently, they act differently, they sacrifice graciously. What do you have that we're missing? Aha, uh-huh. the true God. Would you imagine that? And be a part of that. And be a part of that. And then I want you to imagine, you, me, and us, I want you to imagine you in the new Jerusalem. Just think about it. You can close your eyes if you want to. We're getting ready to close. Just think about it. New Jerusalem, new heaven. There's no no virus. There's no racism. There's no divisiveness. no disease, there's no death, there's no fear, there's no insecurity. And the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the, the, the Holy One, the True One, who has the keys of David, he comes to you and he comes to us and he says, hey, my name is your name. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Enjoy me. Enjoy heaven and the new earth forever and ever. Can you taste it? Can you set your hope on it? And can you go out of here and live with that hope fueled by that promise today and tomorrow in every way, in every time, and in every place? God, we thank you for these promises. Use them to fuel our souls. God, we thank you for your word, which helps us think your thoughts after you so we can live or allow you to live through us. Lord, for every person here today, I pray you've given us a vision that is so big, that is so unshakable, that is so powerful, a vision of you and a vision of us as part of you bearing your name. 
God, that we would walk out of here undeterred, that we would walk out of here encouraged, that we would walk out of here emboldened, that we would walk out of here, God, committed to living for you and you living through us. God, do not let us settle for fear. Do not let us settle for stress and anxiety. Do not let us settle for little g-gods that die when the crisis hits. God, we want to receive you, the true one, the holy one, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.